The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I'm not home alone. I'm with Bazelit and Eliza and Adam Ruckus Clark. We're gonna talk about Christmas films. Like Home Alone and other Christmas classics. Merry Christmas to everyone on TNT. What's up, Adam Ruckus Clark and Bazelit Analyzer? You're going to talk about some Christmas films tonight, but I want to start off by saying I actually saw The Killer. Remember, we analyzed The Killer last time you were on, and uh, I watched it when I went home to visit my folks. They have Netflix. I loved that film, man. I enjoyed it a whole heck of a lot. So thanks for yeah, the recommendation was, on that. Yeah, it was good. It was uh, a rare treat. Um with Netflix especially. I watched their newest one that they came out with today, Leave the World Behind, uh, with Julia Roberts, Mahershala Ali, and Ethan Hawke. That was very different, very different from that film. But um, yeah, Killer was good. And I'm looking forward to getting into some some uh, Christmas movies today, especially Home Alone, uh, possibly Home Alone 2. And uh, I covered the antithesis, what I said was the antithesis to Home Alone, which is a movie called Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is a slasher film from 1984. But let's stick to the Home Alone, I suppose. <laughs> I, well, guys, yeah, I have. Ruckus, what's the, going on? Don't let me forget, if you guys are going to get into Home Alone, I have the absolute most insane Home Alone 2 uh, story ever. So just wanted to bring that up. So when we get there, just remind me and I'll share it with everybody. But thanks for having me, Joseph. I'm very much looking forward to this. He's already got like an ugly sweater on. Did you see that? And I, I feel left out already with this. But I need an ugly sweater. I got to get one. Too. TNT Radio crazy. needs to make an ugly sweater for their shop. Just saying. Yeah. With that Christmas cat sweaters. On. Yeah. With that exactly. cat. Santa Claus. Get it? Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> that's a, that's the next Netflix Christmas movie right there. Yeah. We got to make it. So, Baze, I want to say, and I want to hear your uh, Home Alone story, Ruckus. But Baze, I got to tell you, man, um, your your ability to break down films and and works of literature and, and just make compelling YouTube content is is really awesome. I mean, talk a little bit about that. Let's just like. Uh, your process and how you discovered this gift and, and what it's like for you to be um, building your channel and stuff like that. Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, especially coming from you. That's, that means a lot. Um, that's really, that, that's, uh, that's very meaningful. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know. I just, I've always loved reading and writing and I think that it helps that I, I can read very fast um, and sort of, take in content um pr pretty uh pretty easily i suppose um and i think that uh there's there's kind of a lack of this now and i you know i come from it's from education from academia and you know so i i sort of take the harold bloom school of explication and literature and look at the way that the various parts connect i think that the mistake that people make when they are talking about when they try and understand literature, especially, but also with film, is that they go for sort of what end up being surface level um, 
a surface level way in. Uh, they, they talk about, I mean, it's okay to talk about symbolism and that's, that's one of the major factors. Um, but I think that in a way you have to look at literature and film like as if, you know, the way that a mechanic looks at an engine because there are concrete things and they all have various parts that fit. And so like when you hear about these geniuses with computers who take a computer apart and then put it back together, you know, and they learn the way the various parts move. Well, most people don't really think of words that way, but words function in the same way. So I think that all of the metaphysical stuff sort of comes out of understanding the concrete things in a book first. And that's, that's sort of what helps me with that. That's awesome. I, it's so funny you bring that up because I took apart my computer today. I completely took apart my whole MacBook Pro and put it all back together again. Every screw, every chip, everything, just to see how it works. And it's working fine. I, I can't believe I did that. I'm kidding. I, of course, did not do that. But, be yeah, but, but if I did. But you, <laughs> but you do that with music, though. You do that with music. And yeah, like the way that, it, you know, true. a guitar... You know, a person who's really great at music will make it look easy. And, you know, when you play the guitar, and it looks easy. But the various, all the various notes mean something in the way that you pluck the strings or you strum and you there's tone and then adding words to it and adding a song structure. All of those things build on one another and form this whole yeah. that's made up of all the various parts. So people that are really good at things um, do that. And I just try and do that as best I can with, with literature and film. Well, and then I want to hear Ruckus's Home Alone story, but right before we do, I don't know if you heard the last interview I did or even part of it, but it was this book about the making of Rock and Roll High School. So just to like sort of segue into this segment out of that one, I wondered if you had any insight into the Ramones film Rock and Roll High School and if it had any significance to you. And then we're going to go to Ruckus and Home Alone. Yeah, so um, so forgive me if, if I'm repeating anything that was said, but... Um I, wa I first watched Rock and Roll High School when I was in ninth grade. I was in a punk in a punk band. We were called Purple Stuff. And uh, we were obsessed with that movie. And the one thing that I take away from that movie is I know it was meant to be um, a sort of um, like a grease or like a, a punk version of that, you know, or, a, you know, sort of a musical, a musical, but with adding the Ramones in it. But the most interesting thing to me about that movie is that Darby Crash from the germs is an extra in the movie the germs the seminal band Dar darby crash died december 7th december 7th i think no december yeah december 7th 1980 the day before john lennon and he's you know the germs are really important for the the la punk scene and they're extras in the movie they're in the front of the of this um auditorium audience in that movie so and i, I got to see the ramones twice when i was a teenager and so i, I that's yeah it's a cool movie all right. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for that. I, and that's, uh, that's interesting, that little, uh, you know, the germs uh, being a germ in that film, so to speak. All right, Ruckus, without further ado, what's this incredible Home Alone story you got going for us? All right. So we'll just jump right into that, I suppose. Okay. So yeah, um, it's a sloppy I'm, segue, but there you go. Sorry. From, the, from Joey Ramone to Macaulay Culkin. There's some relationship there. They're both New York guys. They both walked around the uh, East Village looking cool. So there you go. They're both there. in bands. Right. And that's they're right. both and, in and bands, and dude. It's like, it's a perfect segue. Going. And and not that it has anything to do with anything, but Donald Trump was in Home Alone 2, if you remember correctly. You actually made, oh, no. made an appearance playing himself. 
True story. Uh, so this movie came out in uh, 1992. I saw it in the theater. I was 16 years old. I saw it in the theater with my parents and my younger sister, who was not yet 14, but she was 13. So very close to being 14. But so we were fairly young, but like preteen, young teenager age, uh, going to see a family film with uh, my parents, my father and my stepmother specifically because my parents were divorced. Uh, my dad and my stepmom were the cool ones that took us to, to movies every time we would go visit them, which was like we would see them every two weeks or whatever. But regardless, we thought we were going to go do a, a nice family fun thing and enjoy this movie. And we did for the most part, except mostly towards the end, there were issues with the movie inside the theater. It was having problems playing. They had to stop. They had to rewind certain parts. It was just all messed up towards the end, and it kind of ruined the experience. And my stepmother in particular is not one to let such things slide. So she thought, hey, let's just get our money's worth and we're going to stay in the theater. And we kind of crouched down in our seats and to catch a free movie, the next movie that was playing, right? <laughs> the next movie that they played, we didn't even know what it was going to be. It was Showgirls. No, not Showgirls. I'm sorry. I take it back. It was uh, Body of Evidence. I, I already messed up the story. It was this Madonna movie. It was Will one of Defoe. the very early... Yeah. Yeah, it had William Defoe and Madonna in it, and it was one of the very few NC-17 rated films. And, oh my God, we, we stayed in the theater and watched the whole thing from beginning to end, quiet and uncomfortable. But we went there to go see like this family-friendly Home Alone 2 movie and wound up watching this disgusting, violent, sexual-ridden, insane Madonna movie. Yeah, so true story. That's, that's, that's the movie that made the candle wax scene famous yes. remember that that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the one that's so I, I can't I, I remember all those scenes based thank you that's so burned in my memory dude that's so funny my parents took did that same trick we used to go see movies after movies one time we did three in a row and it was like a bit crazy it was like and what and i remember one of the double movies that we like snuck into the next theater i was like I don't know how old, 10, maybe, maybe younger. And my dad took me in to see Sharky's Machine. Remember Sharky's <laughs> Machine? <laughs> the, that Bert happened Reynolds. with the, yeah, that happened with the body of evidence with my mom, um, with me and my mom. We went to see something, it was sold out. And so we saw Eddie Murphy's Boomerang instead. <laughs> and that was the same thing. It's the raunchiest movie. And we didn't want to get up because then both of us are awkward. But it was, I, th I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was the funniest movie, but I was about 12 years old as well. Yeah. But back then, too, going to a theater like that, that was like such a huge event, man. When you were a kid, that's like, was like, oh my God, we're, this is like, you're, you might as well be going to the Academy Awards. That's what it felt yeah. like. And I mean, I'm talking about a mall in Akron, Ohio. So it certainly mm -hmm. wasn't the Academy Awards. But to me as a kid, going into that magical theater lobby and getting the popcorn and all that is just like, it's unbelievable. It was really good. All right. So, Baze, what do you think about Home Alone? What is the significance here? Do we ha Is this going to go deep? What are you going to say to us about this? Uh, well, I mean, I think that... People um, oftentimes will wonder what is a Christmas movie anymore, which is interesting, even the argument itself. Um, what, what constitutes a Christmas movie? J besides the overall, you know, a movie being released at Christmas and family movies. Um, a lot of times movies are criticized now because they are sort of 
Santa Claus related movies. And now you notice this trend where the Santa movies are getting darker and darker as kind of like this meta take on Santa Claus, like the movie um, Silent Night. Uh, no, Deadly Night. Deadly Night came out last year with um, with the guy from Stranger Things, David Harbour, and he plays a version of of uh, Sinterklaas, who is a former Nordic Viking warrior, like drenched in blood, who is trying to atone for his sins. And then he ends up saving a family from a home invasion. So they, they keep getting darker. But Home Alone is interesting because it is on a on a, a full a full rewatch. If you haven't watched it in a while, especially if you're an adult, it is a pure Christmas movie. It's it is it goes. It's incredibly complex and deep and. The, and what's crazy about it is that the Christian elements in the movie are overt, but they're done in a in a way that is allegorical and tasteful and beautiful. And it becomes a family movie in that all of the all of the loose ends are tied up, and it's it it has this lesson. Oftentimes, movies I, I avoid looking at movies like they're they're didactic or they're trying to teach you a lesson, but this movie really shows you that service. To serve is important, and Kevin, uh, Kevin McCall McAllister, um, Macaulay Culkin, takes on this sort of uh, reverse role where the prodigal family returns to the son, and he is quick to take on his. He's quick to admit his sins, um, and to look for redemption. There's the there, the church scene in the movie is incredibly powerful. Uh, the old man in the movie who they say is a serial killer, like burying people in his trash can and, and killing people with his, his snow, you know, his snow shovel ends up being a, a kind of Christ like figure. He's got literal stigmata on his hands and he tells Kevin in the church, like, this is the place you go um, when you have fear and, you know, and, and they sort of teach each other these lessons in the, in the film. And it's really wonderful. I mean, it's really a heartwarming film and really wonderful. It's, and, and it goes incredibly deep. Also, the funniest part of the film is that is the Elvis conspiracy in the movie. If you, if you know about, if you know about this scene, there's a scene in the airport when Kevin's mother is trying to get back and it's right before she meets John Candy. And people have said, people have said there's Elvis in the background and there is a guy in the background who looks exactly like Elvis Presley, like as if he's alive, but with a beard, he even does this oh mama, this head shake in the background. Um, and that's right before she meets John Candy, John Candy appears. She sell, by the way, she sell, she, she says she will sell her soul, um, to get back to her son. And right when she says that this sort of angelic John Candy appears and takes her in his, Christmas sled back to the family where they're reunited. There's a number of, of powerful scenes in that. I mean, Home Alone 2 is, I guess we could probably get to that, but there's the Donald Trump thing. The craziest thing with Home Alone 2 is the nine is the World Trade Center scenes, which were excised from the movie for about 12 years and are now back. And you can see them. Uh, there's never, there's only been one movie filmed in the World Trade Center. It was Network, as far as I know, the movie Network. Um, but this one, he goes up to the World Trade Center and then goes to the viewing the observation deck on the roof looking at the city and it's crazy there's by the way there's a cross on top of the world trade center in the scene so there's overt you know well i don't know if they're 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 subtle to me they were overt but i suppose they're subtle um you know christian symbolism in the films and i i just found it uh, pretty powerful and unique in in light of uh, hollywood and all their shenanigans 
So what's the significance of Home Alone? I'm not actually, I actually don't know that I've ever even seen it, except for in passing, like on people's TVs, if it's on or something. And I, of course, yeah. I, you know, I've seen the various scenes of Macaulay Culkin doing the whole cute kid thing. But I don't know that I've even ever really seen it. What What's the significant? Is there like some deep, significant conspiracy rabbit hole about Home Alone? Well, there's there are a few and there's one specifically i thought um ruckus was going to tell this story about and i'm glad he didn't um about home alone 2 there is a deep conspiracy lore about home alone 2 um and something that right. happened to macaulay Before, Culkin, but i'm not going to get well, into that let's one. leave this at, no let's leave this as a cliffhanger yeah. and because i want to okay. get into that one i want to hear what okay. that is we'll be right back with a home alone 2 cliffhanger right after these words on tnt you should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. And I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me, and I was trying to figure it out, and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Back with Bay's Lit Analyzer and Adam Ruckus-Clark. We're breaking down Home Alone, and apparently there's a Home Alone 2 conspiracy rabbit hole that Bayes is going to introduce us to now. Bayes, what's with Home Alone 2? 
Okay, so this one's this one gets dark. Um, first, there's the there's the ground zero things. You know, there's the World Trade Center that appears. There's also this golden orb that appears uh, bet- that was this, uh, between the two um, trade towers. You can see Building Seven in the background of the movie. Um, but the golden orb is also at the Vatican. There's one here at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, um, and they appear at various like uh, World Heritage sites. But the 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 actual uh, conspiracy about Part Two. Which is very dark. I, I'm going to try to be as, you know, as um, I'm not trying to be a prude about this, but it's pretty dark. Um, and that is that Macaulay Culkin did a radio interview um, in France. And OK, so I haven't I can't find the actual interview. All I can read is about the interview. So who knows if this is true or not, just to be fair. But he um, in part two was called into um, a meeting with a with a producer. He doesn't name the producer. And he um was supposedly asked to sign a contract that would give, you know, a creative control over to this guy who had an enforcer with him. And Macaulay Culkin was was pretty adept at Hollywood, even at a, a at a young age. And that's because of his father, Kit, uh, Kit Culkin, who said that he could only be he, part of his contract originally was he could only be in Home Alone 2 if they agreed to let him be in this movie, The Good Son with Elijah Wood at this uh, right after that. So he wouldn't be pigeonholed as an actor. But um, in the meeting, uh, the guy he refused to sign the contract, and the producer said, "You're going to sign this contract uh, because do you remember Heather O'Rourke? Heather O'Rourke was the actress in Poltergeist. There's a lot. That's a whole other thing. There's a lot of bad stuff that happened on the set of Poltergeist, but she was not alive at the time. And Macaulay Culkin said, um, "Yes, I remember her." And he said, "Well, she's here with us." And he said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Look down." And he pointed at his shoes which were the uh, proverbial, this is getting into deep you know, conspiracy territory, red shoes. And he said, there she is. And Macaulay Culkin's uh, apparently had a physical reaction to this and signed. Um, but that's part of the deep. It gives me, it gives me the heebie-jeebies, uh, you know, even talking about it. Um, but that ties in with Macaulay Culkin's life. Um, you remember he was emancipated from his parents as a teenager. He um, was married at a young age. He went on to he was in a relationship with Mila Kunis um, for most of their 20s um, before she you know, was with Ashton Kutcher in that 70s show. And um, and then then he was involved with the Comet stuff. There was ties ties with his the name of his band and stuff um, about five years ago. The things that happened in D.C. and with the uh, Hillary's um, campaign manager. But that's getting into something completely different. Um, regardless of all that. Uh, Home Alone and Home Alone Two are, as movies, are incredibly wholesome, and the characters. Wait, wait, wait! Show before, up, before before you go into the, how wholesome they they are, I have to ask you about the red shoe thing because yeah. I I've seen images on X like or or whatever you know some of the real conspiracy threads, and they'll show a picture of a bunch of like you know business looking dudes all wearing red shoes or whatever and there'll be like some caption like, well, we all know what this is or something. And I'm like, well, I, actually I don't, but I can kind of assume what you're getting at and what you just got at there. I mean, is that, what is that whole red shoe thing? Is that, and, and not to go too deep into it, but is there any legitimacy to that? And, and I mean, when, you, when, when it makes me go a little like ruckus black pill inspired, like, is that supposed to just demoralize us and freak us out? How could that go if there's even a rumor that that is what you're sort of insinuating it is? How do people get pictures with red shoes on and, and do that? Like, is it's like if it's an open secret, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, 
how can uh, how can something as diabolical as that be an open secret? I guess would the question be. Well, uh, the red shoes refers to uh, that they're made of of human a human leather. Right. right? No, I got and, that. And, and, Yes, and for for the folks at home, uh, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. Avoiding sorry, saying that, but yeah. Yes. I, um, I thought but, that was but, uh, understood. Yeah, 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 but but um, I I don't know. I, as far as diabolical, could you get anything more diabolical? And and I think that yeah, that's a, those are good questions. And I think that um, the thing that who knows about the legitimacy, but I but in terms of the spirit of it i certainly think that it's legitimate legitimate when you're dealing with people at the very top of the pyramid um with so much money and so many interests and who uh we we know that there are people involved in rituals and ceremonies that do things and that's i mean that's biblical so um i i but as far as as far as you know legitimate hard evidence i don't know i, I don't want to i don't want to I don't want to really find out, but to me, it speaks sort of volumes and, um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say, to say about it. Ruckus, do you, do you have anything on this? I actually, I'm, I'm not very familiar with the whole red shoe stuff, but I do understand quite clearly, um, how symbolism works and they, they do, these things are not by accident. So there is a reason for it. If you see the, the symbolism of that being, you know, done up over and over again uh, i'll add it to my list of things to research though but i depend on people like Bayes lit to explain it to me or or even the the fine jay dyer who we need to get on this show one day jay come on down uh but yeah, yeah no, um, no. i'm not familiar with the red shoe one though unfortunately does that is there any relation i do have a question for Bayes about that there was that movie the man with the one red shoe is there any correlation yeah is is that the one? That's not the one with Tom Hanks, is it? Oh, it is. No, Tom Hanks. Well, that's all you need to know. That's, there you go. There you have it. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. All right. So let's go back to like uh, you know, <laughs> fireplaces and Santa Claus and Home Alone one and two and how great they are. Based. What do you got for us? What were you about to say? Well, the the meaning I think of Home Alone is that the movie came out in 1990. I remember seeing this uh, the day that I got out, uh, or it was the Friday after Thanksgiving is when it came out. It was a huge, huge movie. The movie was, I, I don't often trust box office receipts because I think a lot of it is laundering, but this one apparently cost $20 million to make, and it made you know $400 million at the box office just like in the United States. It was an absolutely huge movie. And part of it is that everyone who worked on the movie was fairly young in the industry. They had a sort of a youthful spirit and John Hughes wrote the movie. Of course, people think John Hughes directed it. It was Chris Columbus who went on to do the Harry Potter movies and Mrs. Doubtfire and all these movies. Um, Macaulay Culkin's younger brother is also in the film. Uh, and it has, it's amazing because it has a, a, a supporting cast where all of the characters have a trajectory and they all have motivation. They all li are living lives. And this is sort of a counterpoint to a movie like Napoleon that I just saw where things just happen. This movie is where you watch the movie and you believe that the human beings in the movie are humans and that they're living lives outside of being filmed. In other words, the characters go off and they come from a place and then they're going to go to a place. Um, it's very 1990. It's very nineties because 
uh, although we are in a time where, you know, not much is happening geopolitically, um, you know, there's like the Panama invasion and there's there's this is well before 9-11. It's, you know, the the uh, Cold War has just ended. There's not much happening. The economy's OK, but we see a family and they're going on a family vacation to Europe. They're going to Paris, all funded by the father. And there's a hierarchy and there's a structure and you feel safe. But what happens is that they forget their child. And part of the movie, when you're watching it as an adult, a thing you don't get as a kid is how could you ever forgive the family for leaving you like this? Right. And actually that's sort of imbued in Kevin's the way that his mannerisms in the film, because he's forced to grow up in a way where he doesn't become an adult. He, re he retains his innocence and that's what defeats the bad guys in the movie. But at the end of the film, when his mother returns, um, she apologizes to him. And he 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 had said in the church scene earlier uh, when he met the, the old man um, that his family had left him. And the guy says, have you been a good boy, you know, this year? Or have, you, have you been are you naughty? And he says, you know, I've been good. I'm, I'm not naughty. And he says, would you swear to it? And he says, no, I wouldn't. Um, I, I, I did bad things, too, which is very strange. It's very adept for a, a 10 year old kid to say those things on his own. And the way he survives is by emulating his family and his father. Um, and, and he's able to get by. He never complains. He never, he just sort of goes about his business and learns how to survive. And it's, it's very innocent, but he takes responsibility for the fact that his, he was sent upstairs early in the movie because of how he acted with his parents. And he, he, you know, it's very adult the way that he takes responsibility for it and that he apologizes. And and at one point he um, he looks up in the church like he's looking up to God. He's about to walk past the church when he sees the church and sees them, hears them, you know, singing Christmas carols. And he goes inside by himself where he meets another lonely figure who's the old man who is kind of him as an older man. One of the one of the conspiracies about the movie is that the old man is Kevin in an infinite time loop. Um, or that the father must be a money launderer for the mob because how could anybody afford to take 12 people on a vacation to Europe at Christmas time and live in this you know gigantic house in Chicago? But I think what that speaks to is that um, the father does well, the family does well, they're a family unit, they stick together, and it's something that we can sort of look to now in the, in the you know, broken world we live in where this is almost impossible. You know, who can afford to take 12 people on a trip to Paris? Um, but we see this and we go, this is wholesome. You know, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's interesting, man. It correlates with his own life, Macaulay Culkin's life, almost identically. I mean, that, that, that he was left by his family in a sense, or he, he left his family. He emancipated himself. But, but it, it sort of speaks to that. It's almost like we're we're like all invited into macaulay calkin's fever dream or something and then also i'm thinking about his new york life you know kind of becoming this gaunt figure and hanging out with harmony corinne and all that kind of stuff too it's like uh there's there's something there too harmony's uh sort of importance in in the film world as well yeah. i don't know yeah there's something below all this stuff that's kind of wacky isn't it what do you think, Ruckus? Well, one of the weird things, I'm sorry to cut Ruckus off. One, no, go, I'll for just it, say, go for it, babe. I'll just say one of the things that um, is ironic about the film and the film industry is that the movie exists in a place and time where it will be forever, right? You watch this thing and it's aged well and it'll, it'll never go bad. And it's something that, 
as an adult, I'm not a parent, but there are probably many films, if I were a parent, where I would go, I'm not sure that this is, you know, appropriate or whatever, just for a family at, at Christmas time. But this is one of those movies that is. And Macaulay Culkin is hands down the greatest child star of all time. This movie, I mean, he's perfect for the movie. He lives forever, forever young on the screen in these in these two movies. But like you said, uh, at the same time, he there was so much. Ironically, there's so much fame that comes out of it that everybody wants to be like this, and they're throwing money at him. There's a famous picture of him in the bathtub covered in cash, and he's like 12 years old, you know. And it's like they they, they the the bad people feed on this, and then they sort of spill it out into the the regular people who don't they just don't care. Or they see this and they feed into the sort of fame industry and then it ends up tearing his life apart. Hopefully I'm wrong and his life is great and fine, you know, um, and, but surely it, this obviously did something to him. It, it couldn't, it could, you know, how could it not? Tied in also with, you know, Michael Jackson visited him on the set of, um, of Home Alone 2. There was all that stuff that was going on. Um, it was filmed, the, one of the New York street scenes was filmed, I think, on the same street that Michael Jackson did that famous video where he's like on top of the car and the wind is blowing in his, in his shirt, you know, and he's got the cast on. Um, so, I don't know. I, I just, it's, it's ironic how these things sort of diverge in terms of that. Yeah, it's strange. What do you think, Ruckus? Wow. Gee, you guys are on another playing on this one um i, I the, the, actually joe so you said you aren't even sure if you'd seen it so like i'm very curious what based thinks about the um the, one of the main plot points of the whole film is that he feels it's it's one giant guilt trip over the fact that he thinks he made his family disappear like his his actions his thoughts his his emotions somehow had some sort of physical effect in the real world and it made his entire family poof disappear not once did he feel like he was abandoned um i think that he went through feelings of like you know associated with the guilt that he was punished but i, I don't think that he thought for the moment that they just forgot about him like he had no he was like he had this whole grandiose idea as to why they were gone and it was all his he he wished that they didn't exist and it came true but then like he didn't run around wielding some sort of magical power like oh i can make my family disappear i can do whatever i want like um that movie where the guy was given the god powers what was that movie oh my goodness help me out jim carrey he became god uh, yeah, yeah thank right. you yeah bruce almighty yeah, but, but if you honestly felt that you had the single power to make your family disappear you would think especially being a child that you would run with that right but they that, that had nothing to do with it other than the fact that again he truly believed it was his fault that they were just no no more they were gone you know yeah he it um like, it sounds like a hero's journey but with framed as a kid basically absolutely uh, it's that's totally on point it's that's absolutely what it is he goes through various stages of sort of, I guess, apotheosis until he um, receives salvation. And then the prodigal family comes home and all's well. And by the way, the best part of this movie, what really makes the movie special is that when the family comes home, they they he's reunited first with his mother and then the family walks in the door because they've gotten there basically at the same time because they took the they waited for the plane and the plane got there. And they walk in and he receives a sort of a, this weird sort of absolution from his older brother, whose name is, I don't know, Chungus or whatever, but he's like, you did pretty well, Kevin. 
So now he feels proud because that was part of the reason he was bad in the beginning or that he lashed out because of his brother. And then the family says, what did you do while you were gone? He says, oh, nothing. You know, and so he doesn't like take any credit for the things that he's done. Right. He's very humble. And then immediately what's weird is that they leave. They leave him alone in the house and they go off and do their own thing. So now he's alone again. But instead of ending the movie on a funny note or a freeze frame, he looks through the window and he sees that the old man is outside the window with his family and they're reuniting in the snow. And then the old man sees him through the window by, by candlelight. It's a daytime, but by a candle, window candlelight and looks up while he's hugging um, his son and he waves at him. And there's this, it's like peace. He's showing him peace. And now both families are united and then there's a funny line at the end, you know, where they shout his name. It's interesting that the movie ends with his name, but it's it's a spiritual moment. It's it's something that's more than just, oh, this family. Oh, this is a quirky kid. Oh, he went through adventures. And in fact, his whole thing about surviving um, and the, the, the cool missions that he goes through, you know, and, and defending the home like it's a castle are all sort of ancillary to the movie. They're cool when you're 10 years old and you watch it because that's what you focus on. But that's a very small part of the movie. Most of the movie is spent with him learning about himself, other people in service to other people um, and give in the spirit of giving. Um, even the bad guys is crazy with the two bad guys because it's creepy how they are like following this kid through the streets. But one thing they do is they manage to not make it creepy because they have an, an Abbott and Costello sort of dynamic, a tall, skinny guy, a short, fat guy. And they become bumbling fools, but you still believe that they're in there to rob the house. So it's not schlocky. It's not, it's not you know, just kind of cheap comedy. It, there's a truth to the entire movie is my take. Interesting, man. I definitely want to see it. And, uh, you know, I'm curious um what y'all's favorite christmas movies are of all time but let's hear that when we come back after these words on tnt with his expert analysis and opinion this is tnt radio's timothy shea enough we are sick and tired of breathless headlines like senator josh hawley goes off after fbi director christopher ray admits no one is being fired for targeting catholics and ted cruz hammers fbi director christopher ray for sitting blithely by as FBI is weaponized. And Senator Mike Lee, FBI Director Christopher Wray, you have a lot of gall, sir. This is disgraceful. Uh, I'm going to write a sternly worded letter to the editor. I mean, come on. We understand that Republicans in the Senate have very little power, them being in the minority at the moment. But we need more than breathless headlines. We need more than investigations in the house we need more than subpoenas so and so has been subpoenaed so what they thumb their noses at us you cannot run in 2025 based on we're not joe biden because guess what it's probably not going to be joe biden it's probably going to be kamala or gruesome newsome or somebody else so articulate a plan for the country how are you going to fix this government so that it is never weaponized against the american people ever again. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. One in four Australian women experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Staying is dangerous, but leaving can mean homelessness for them and their children. 
With your generosity, the Salvos can provide crisis services and ongoing support, helping women find a way out of violence and a way back into a safe and stable life. Help us leave no one in need. Please donate to the Red Shield Appeal today. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. There's a Fox News report. Home Alone fans are shocked by an almost 250% increase in grocery prices since the iconic shopping trip Kevin McAllister took, where he it went from he spent $19.83 in 1990. That would cost now $72.28 in 2023. I, I would think it would even be more than that. I'm surprised it's right. that close. It seems like it would be $1,000 these days. But... Um, all right, guys, what, do you, what is your push-comes-to-shove favorite Christmas movie of all time? I'll start. Die Hard has to be yes. the greatest. I don't know, like what Ruckus said, is that a Christmas movie? But it really is, isn't there's, it? Because it's all There's a lot of debate. That's, that's one of the biggest debates in, in this, this kind of a discussion is people to this day argue about whether or not it is. They try to ask the actors, the screenplay writers. Uh, the directors, and nobody gets a straight answer from one or the other. Uh, most the consensus is that it's not. But for the viewers, it absolutely is. That That is definitely one of my favorites. But I, I wouldn't call that like a Christmas movie. It doesn't have these things that like we were talking about with Home Alone. Home Alone is a fabulous movie, and it's got all the things. It's got the, the spirituality, the family, the important moral lesson of giving and caring and love and peace and all of the things that a holiday movie should have. So that being said, this might surprise you guys. Uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, Christmas movies um, is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I love that movie, but it's it's a bit dramatic and it's not one that I would watch every year. However, there is a film that I watch every year this time of year. And now this one's really going to surprise you. It's White Christmas. So every year, and probably again this year, I will watch White Christmas. There's just something about that film, the music, the acting. Um, it's one of those first movies that was like done in full Technicolor, Panavision, all that stuff. It was brilliant. It was beautiful. And, and I love it to this day. So that's mine, White Christmas. Sisters, well, sisters, right? Rosemary Clooney, George Clooney's aunt in the movie. Right? Yep, that's the one. But with Die Hard, okay, maybe it's not, you know, a traditional Christmas movie, but it sort of ushered in the Christmas blockbuster, or at least that's when I, like, it became a tradition in our family to, oh, we always went to a movie on Christmas Day, and it was always whatever the big Christmas blockbuster was, and I don't know if that started with Die Hard or if it was before that, but at a certain point, Hollywood just kept making, like, the big blockbuster Christmas movies, and then there would be, like, five to choose from and the, you know so they it became the tradition to usher out like these huge like box office smashes right around christmas and and we used to you know wake up open presents have some food and then you know sometime in the late afternoon we'd all go to the theater and we would be like pretty much some of the only people in the theater and we would all watch one of these big blockbusters and it was super fun I mean, it wasn't exactly like a religious sort of Christmas celebration, but that's the way my family did it. And I don't know, as a kid, that was pretty great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. A family's bonding around movies is, again, something that's sort of disappeared now. I mean, you were talking earlier about going to the cinema, you know, as a as a family and kind of the hugeness of the experience. And 
that's always stuck with me. I still, you know, I, I still uh, go to the movies. We weren't able to for a long time, but uh, I was surprised when I saw this Elvis movie, Priscilla, that there were so many people in the theater on like a Tuesday night. It was crazy. But um, yeah, Jaws brought us the blockbuster in 1977 or no, 75. And then we get Die Hard. Right. In 1988, as a Christmas blockbuster around the time where Lethal Weapon, which is also Christmas themed, um, uh, occurs. And I think that the movie is is certainly it's so good because there are deeper elements in it. There's the, there's the obvious geopolitical elements. There's the sort of end of the Cold War, you know, Hans Gruber and the East German uh, terrorists. And they want to they want to free the Libyans and this IRA guy and all this stuff. And it's we get we get twin tower symbolism with Nakatomi Towers and in, in in L.A., but what's interesting is that aside from because haters will say that, oh, you know, just because he says ho, ho, ho on his shirt, you know, and he's dressed <laughs> as Santa doesn't mean it's a Christmas movie. Well, it it, it is in the sense that it, it's not it's not a religious Christmas movie with with overtones like that. But it is something that is the hero's journey and where we see good overcoming evil. And the fact that John McClane is barefoot in the movie is is interesting. It's almost like he's a pilgrim making his way along the stations, like going up the building, right? He has to um, defeat the bad guys. He's left with one. It's a one-on-one -on -one confrontation. And it's ultimately about family. You know, it's not a it's interesting because it's not a cold movie because Christmas movies often have snow and it's it's of the season and they're in LA. But he's coming from New York and he's got his his warm clothes on and that's part of it that he's out of his normal experience he's out of, he's out from in the you know out from the cold and now he's into a different environment like like i don't know he's i could you know chasing a star you know something he's 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 he goes to this place and it becomes because he's in a broken relationship with his wife in the movie the the relationship is healed in the movie and it's a and it becomes a love story and christmas is partly about a it's a love story in terms of family and relationships and so i think mm -hmm. it's it's an incredible movie i mean it's very well done right come to the coast have a few laughs right <laughs> we we like the hero we follow him all the way we want him to succeed and he's also by the way john mcclain in the movie is he has parts of him that are sort of anti-heroic but for the most part he's simply a complex human being who is a total hero right he's not broken in the way that like we see you know batman or bruce wayne now or the the, the complete split the sort of anti-hero where he's an unlikable guy who ends up we went we end up being forced to root for him in this one, we root from him from the very beginning. He's funny, he's charming, um, and he has to take out this whole this group of of sinister guys uh, who seem to be trying to ruin Christmas. And there's all sorts of complex elements in it. Um, I also, and he's by the a way, Chad. Like, he's a total. He's a oh, he's he, he's yeah. like remember when he's flying there, the stewardess kind of like hits on him and yeah. like gives him the flirty eyes, and he's flirting back and all that. So it's like. You know, and he and he is there to save his marriage as well, which is pretty great. And the cop, his cop, like buddy, it's a buddy oh, yeah. film too with the cop. Uh, I forget that yes. actor's name, but What's I want to ask you know, about the. By oh, the way, Reginald Vell Johnson is the actor's name no, from Family no, Matters. Well, no, 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 well, no. Yeah, right. I know, but his wife in the movie uh, Die Hard, her name has is a Christmas name, yeah. Holly. Holly. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so that that brings me to my question nice. about his bare feet and things like what, what Ruckus is saying, Holly, like obviously calling her Holly is intentional for Christmas, right? That That's not an accident. 
But w- when something like his bare feet, do you think they're thinking about it that deep in, in the writing of this? Or do you think it's like just good for the action? He loses his shoes at one point and he's like running over glass and it makes the, you know, it's another element of the hero's journey that's difficult to overcome. Or are they looking at it as deeply as you are? And based since you do this all day long for a living, I mean, there must be tons of instances where you're reading into things and you have to question, are they really that significant or are you bringing the significance to it? Yeah, I think that the question of whether the artist chooses to make the decision is a valid question, but oftentimes it becomes moot in the in the finished work because because a great artist has all of these sort of uh, you know literary and, and uh, symbolic elements and allegorical elements and all of the various ways that the work fuses together, sort of imbued within the writing and the and the production of the work. So so what I'm saying is that like. If you're reading, I just did an analysis um, this week on this book, this Russian work, Master and Margarita. It's a complex work of Russian literature. It took the guy years to do. It's a it's a critique on Soviet Russia, but it works in a Shakespearean sense, even though it's prose, because there's what you, what I would say is like a web of words, which means that if there's an extraneous word or an extraneous element, it has to be supported with foreshadowing and with conclusion, with, resol- with resolution and sim- a sort of symbolic plane of existence where all things sort of co less they have to work together it can't be extraneous unless the point is that it that it's an anomaly and so in this movie the fact that he's barefoot it might have been something like and 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 by the way i wouldn't ask the filmmakers or the writers what they intended with the work because oftentimes they give a, a wrong answer or a loose answer that and by wrong i mean like they aren't aware of the impact and the effect that it's had on the audience, which is their whole purpose. But with the bare feet, you can you can picture like, you know, some producer or John McTiernan being like, you know, let's let's make him barefoot. You know, it'll be something different, you know, in the building. And there's all these dangerous elements. It's like he's walking on the on the broken glass, just like the bad guys breaking the home alone. They're walking on the broken Christmas ornaments. So it's like, you know, there's danger everywhere. But I think that what ends up happening is that it it adds to and it, it sort of fuses to all of the other elements of danger that come out of nowhere with him. When when all the glass is shot out in the building, yeah, the characters are shooting glass. They're trying to, you know, the glass. Remember Hans Gruber says they're trying to break the glass. They're trying to harm him in every way that they can. But what it shows is that like his worldview is being destroyed, right? The glass shattering is like a psyche breaking. Um, everything's going to hell uh they've got his wife you know there's we're at the point of no return here and so now he's forced to shed literal blood just by walking right and and nothing is going to be easy so i think that in terms of the artistic integrity i mean the movie is so well done because of that and and that is lacking that's certainly lacking a lot of movies now but i can't you know you have so many people involved in making a film i think that the things aren't accidental there's a set designer there's a set decorator there's production assistance there's continuity all these people make sure that the things they've decided are in the movie yeah i don't think it's accidental but i wonder if they think of it as he's a pilgrim and it's mythical or you know mythological or something like that but so Baze, you didn't you didn't answer though what your favorite christmas movie is of all time 
Yeah, my favorite movie is my favorite Christmas movie is White Christmas. Uh, we we watch it every year. My family, my sister knows every word to the movie. She sings all the songs. Um, we always watch it on Christmas Eve, um, and then on Christmas, <laughs> my dad always puts on the Bing Crosby Christmas album. Um, you know, Melikaliki Maka. And that's like sort of our, our tradition. Um, we also have Die Hard. We also watch Die Hard, you know, d- during the week. But uh, we're a movie watching family. But I love White Christmas. It's again, it's it's like Rucka said, it's it's vivid technicolor. It's like a, a dream world where happiness exists and it's you're in your happy place so that even the conflict in the movie is sort of uh, we know we're going to find a resolution. And and the movie is interesting because it ties back to the war. And there's there there are soldiers being entertained, and there's a war resolution in the movie where there's peace. There's peace on Earth, um, so it's it's definitely a fantastic movie. Well, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think Christmas has the same meaning? I mean, I, like it's easy for us at our ages now to look back and go like, oh, it used to mean so much more i'm sure young families for young families it still has a a meaning but do you think it's lost something in time in terms of like as well as there's like the whole uh sort of um you know people saying happy holidays instead of merry christmas and it's sort of uh become a victim of wokeism to some degree as well Um, what's your take on that ruckus I've been a victim of uh, ruining Christmas for myself, and now I wish I hadn't. Uh, As a Christian, uh, a Bible-believing Christian, I went down the rabbit hole of the – I mean, because in reality, a lot of Christmas celebrations are not very Christian. You know what I mean? It's it's a sad story. I mean, there's a lot of history and truth to that, and it's commercialized. And a lot of the practices that we grew up as, you know, as a traditional American Christmas – you know, as a thinking person, when you do some research, you're like, wow, this really doesn't have anything to do with my religious faith at all, does it? And and I, for many years, and I'm struggling to come past this, I, I can't, I, I find it difficult to celebrate any holiday, and I don't want to be that bah humbug Scrooge guy, especially being a Christian, because that turns so many people off, because it is such a wonderful time to spread that message to people, because it's, it's on the hearts and the minds of folks, because of the association of the birth of Christ to Christmas, whether or not that can be proven uh, to be true, it doesn't matter. We, we need to take advantage of all the chances we get to proselytize, right? But uh, now things are so messed up with the whole, I mean, like, the traditional American Christmas has gone out the window. So now I'm like, I want to go back to that. Can we, yes, please. Can we all just do the family thing in the dinner and the trees and the presents? I, I, ignore what I said five years ago. I want us to go back to that tradition again, but that's just me. Yeah. What about you, Base? What do you think? Well, Christmas has always been special to me because I'm blessed to have a family that, um, a close family. And when I think of Christmas, even as an adult, I, I think of the happiness on my grandmommy's face and of my Mimi and Papa. I think of their, the way that I was with them. And it, it, it was, it was heavenly to me um, because they loved us so much. And as an adult, the way I think of Christmas is that, you know, yes, there's this capitalistic thing that occurs and there's all the money and stuff like that. But I think that it's important for families. It, it's a time for forgiveness and that's in home alone. It's a time for, to forgive other people and for that, to let them forgive you, right? To, and to yeah. ask for forgiveness. And to me, Christmas, ultimately, um, you know, I'm like Ruckus, Christmas is the day where I celebrate the birth of my Lord, who is the King of Kings. 
and gave everything for me and for all mankind. And so that's a mm. time of peace and happiness for me. And I love, I love God for that. And I'm thankful that he's given me my family and friends. And hopefully I can, I can give as much as I've gotten uh, in life. That's what it means. That, that's a beautiful message, man. And it reminds me, like we spent it in West Virginia, this little place called Amore, West Virginia, in a little house that had like this big vent for the heater in the middle of the living room. It was crazy. Uh, it, it was certainly uh, rough and ready, but it was amazing. My grandma and grandpa, Papa, Papa Joe and Mama Enid, and uh, he sang Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and we walked the hound dogs up to Pico. It was amazing. Um, so, yeah, that was a beautiful message. And uh, God bless you guys both for coming on. Bays, tell everyone where to find you. Yeah, thank you all so much. Love being here. Um, you can find me at Bays Lit Analyzer on uh, YouTube and Instagram. I've got memberships now. You can grab a membership. I just did a members-only stream today, uh, movie analysis. I've been doing – I can't leave without giving a big shout-out to my friend David Patrick Carey, Church of the Eternal Logos, with whom I did on his channel the Home Alone analysis. Um, and uh, the, he Pretty came good. over to me for Master and Mar Margarita. And thank you, guys. Appreciate you all. Merry Christmas. Love, Love you, man. Merry Christmas. Ruckus. Love you, brother. Merry Christmas. Love you guys. Yippee Kaye. Merry Christmas. Keep the change, you filthy animals. Yippee Kaye. All right. Keep listening, everybody, to TNT. Have a great weekend.